Hey, did you just have a meeting with a donor and they told you something really, really important and you have no place to put it except for like maybe an Excel spreadsheet or I don't know, a random piece of paper in your office? Go to DonorDoc.com. Get a CRM system that works. Get a donor database system that works. Get something that gives you beautiful reports and beautiful dashboards that even your crankiest board member will love. Go to DonorDoc.com. Use the code word "Do Good Better" at checkout and get a month free. DonorDoc.com. Hey, you busy fundraiser. Yeah, you. Listen, I know you're busy planning an event and you shouldn't have to worry about what software you're using for events and online giving and peer-to-peer fundraising and auctions and mobile bidding and text to give. It's all at OneCause, OneCause.com. Listen, I've been using OneCause for a long time with clients all over. It's designed for busy fundraisers. It's intuitive. It's a powerful fundraising solution for your next event and you should be using it. Go to onecause.com. They're a sponsor of the show. They're amazing. They're awesome. And there's free resources galore at onecause.com. Check them out today. Choosing a partner to help you achieve success in your business or personal finances is a big decision. You need a devoted advisor who's experienced and attentive and invested in helping you accomplish your goals. Hey, you know what that sounds like? Brady Martz. Brady Martz knows that you've got a lot of options to choose from, but we're confident that Brady Martz is the right accounting firm for you. they got more than a half a century of experience making everyday count through tax, accounting, audit, and business advisory services. So contact Brady Martz to learn more about their unique solutions that they can provide to you and your nonprofit. Your organization is awesome, but sometimes you want to be even awesomer. It's time to get your fundraising on with your host, fundraising expert and author, Patrick Kirby. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kirby. And of course, we talk with people who are going to help our small and medium-sized nonprofits do good better. And one of the things that you could all do better at is recruiting better human beings to your organizations and mostly... How do you find individuals who have the diverse perspectives that are going to help you grow and thrive as a nonprofit so you can actually do amazing things? Don't worry. I got an expert for you today. I'd love to welcome Victoria Silverman. She is the co-founder and CEO of Cook Silverman Search. Victoria, welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. Thank you, Patrick. Great to be here. I'm very excited to chat with you today. I think um, a lot of uh, us in the nonprofit industry are looking at what we like to lovingly call, because everybody else calls it that, the great resignation. And I think a lot of our nonprofit friends know that because of the amount of stress that's put on us as fundraisers and nonprofit leaders, that it's just easier to throw your hands up and walk away occasionally. And that stresses everybody else out. So we are trying as leaders to find amazing talent And I think you're just the person to help us figure out this roadmap forward. But before we start, uh, there's probably a lot of people who are here on iTunes and Spotify and YouTube and everything else, and they probably want to know a little bit more about you. So could you tell us right out of the gate as a 5,000 foot view who you are, what you do, and why we're talking today? You bet. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And boy, that was a great cue up. Thanks, Patrick. Um, Well, the start is I was a fundraiser for the majority of my career. 
So there you go. This is why I know the business so well. It's why I'm really, really happy to be a recruiter and to own this firm because I get to place amazing people who have tremendous talent and passion for missions into organizations that are doing amazing work. So it's a great combination. I've raised money for every kind of organization you can imagine during my career. Um, I worked for big symphony orchestra. I worked for universities. I worked for small. I worked for startup and nonprofits. It was been a fascinating, fascinating um uh, career. Absolutely. About 15 years ago, I started consulting, which a lot of fundraisers do towards the latter parts of their career. I'll be diplomatic here, right? And Dang then <laughs> I thought I was in my I thought I was in my prime and yet now I'm not. Ah. <laughs> um, well, latter part of your fundraising career. There's a whole other yes. many, many more careers to have. <laughs> and then um, and then about eight years ago, um, I actually joined forces with a woman who who first hired me uh, to work at Stanford University back in the 1980s. And we joined forces, Cook, Silverman, Pam Cook, and I. Um, she then got really smart and retired. And so uh, I took over the firm, which I've been running now for about seven years. And that's the 5,000-foot that's the view on who I am and where I come from. I love it. And this is why uh, I'm so excited to have you on is because you have that fundraising background. You know the type of talent uh, that we can uh, chat about today. I think the, uh, the the start of the start should be something that we've been talking about, I think, for probably the last year and a half. It is the great resignation. It is everybody abandoning ship and going and doing something else. What do we need to know about this situation? And what do we need to know about everyone kind of leaving or looking to someplace different that maybe we haven't heard or looked at before? Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Patrick. Yeah. So needless to say, 2020 was pretty shocking for everybody. And talk about the ground moving under your feet and never stabilizing. It still hasn't stabilized. Um, you know, 2020 shocked so many people in the nonprofit sector, specifically small and mid-sized nonprofits, where they thought, oh, my gosh, we're not going to have any funding. We're going to have to let everybody go. We're going to close shop. All these terrible and scary things. While that was terrible to go through, I think that in a lot of ways, it was really beneficial to a lot of organizations because it made them step back and say, what are we doing that's inefficient? What can we do to be more efficient? And then when the PPP loans started happening and people started realizing that, wow, my donor base loves us and they're going to keep funding us, especially in times of need like now. All of a sudden they said, you know what? We can hire staff. We can keep retaining people. We can do better. Um, and that was a really wonderful wake-up call. So 21 to me as a recruiter was like whiplash from 2020. It was just overwhelming. But absolutely true to the question you ask about this, quote, great resignation. I have a different title for it. I call it the great reimagination and reevaluation. Because what, what people did was they didn't want to just stop working. They didn't just quit and say, I'm done. I don't want to work anymore. What they said was, wow, if I take all these things into consideration about me and my life, I want quality of life here, and I want to be able to do something that is completely meaningful to me. So not just, wow, that's a great salary, and I'm going to take that job, although let's talk about that later. That does help a lot. Mm -hmm. It was really more, I want to wake up in the morning and feel like I'm making a difference in a world for an organization that cares about me too, mm -hmm. right? So I want to make sure that I'm going to, if I'm taking time away from my children here at home, if I'm taking away time from my four-legged children here at home, whatever the case may be, I want to make sure that I'm doing it for somebody who is going to value what I do, who's doing a good job themselves, who are making a difference in the world. So they're reevaluating their lives as opposed to just re resigning. I really think that that's the difference. 
I, I think it's interesting that the ones who were in charge and seeing everybody leave took offense to it as if they're, hey, you're being ungrateful or you're being selfish and you're not thinking about us. I remember seeing so many viral posts on social media on the responses to managerial teams or CEOs or executives saying, you know, because of so-and-so leaving you off to do extra work, thank her, not me. And this sort of uh, this really uh, uh, difference in brain power where I think we all realize uh, it, sort of in the nonprofit world is like, listen, if I'm going to do all of the work that I need to do in order to make this world a better place, it's the stress it puts on me. If I'm not good, nobody else is good. And I don't think that's selfish at all. In fact, I think that's the most selfless thing to do because then you can put your best foot forward in the jobs that you really like. Am I wrong? No, you are a hundred percent spot on Patrick spot on. And you know, the other thing that, um, that became so apparent during this, that period, needless to say, we did all zoom interviews during that period of time. And we still do actually, which I think is really, it's been really great, but to see, you know, families, animals, people's other lives besides their full-time quote unquote jobs has been so valuable. I think to everybody, we all got to look at each other as human beings again, as opposed to do that job, do more of that job. We get to see who we are and you know what, it's not easy to balance everything in life. And as we all know, Patrick, the nonprofit sector doesn't pay as well as big corporate America. So not only are you working super hard, probably harder than a lot of other people, you're getting paid less. So it's got to be a valuable experience for you in every way. Uh, is there some sort of, are you seeing some of the um, maybe COVID or a post-pandemic or pre-recession uh, trauma that comes along with individuals who are working in the nonprofit sector of like, I got worked over and I got worked almost to death. And now I'm t- kind of terrified of going back into the industry or I'm aligning myself because I don't want to get into this habit of being asked to do more than I am. And I may be wary about getting back into the field and maybe leaving completely. Hmm, interesting. I haven't seen that directly. I haven't heard people say that to me specifically. What I have been um, keenly aware of, though, and it's really probably my own uh, combination of my own personal experience with my um, conversations I'm having with clients. So, you know, we're hired by the client, the nonprofit organization, to find great talent. And we ask them a lot of questions. We do a lot of what we call discovery and intake conversations with our clients. And we talk to them about the reality of the job, because that's the most important thing. When we're working with them on a job description and we say, this is ridiculous. This isn't one job. This is six jobs. You know, sometimes we lose clients that way because we just have to tell them this is not doable. Or if you're going to lay all these things on your candidates, on these people, How are you going to reward them? Because it's got to be more than just a straight salary. You've got to give them whatever, a month off. You've got to be able to promise a bonus opportunity, which I'm a big fan of, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, so I haven't heard somebody say, you know what, I'm just throwing up my hands. What I've heard more of is let's make, let's find a way to make this more realistic on both ends. If you just put everything under, under other duties as assigned, that works, (laughs) right? Like, it's just like, Hey, you're doing these things. And then the 80 other things, other (laughs) duties as assigned. I think this actually begs the question um, that uh, really, I think a lot of the savvy nonprofits are looking at is how to find or where to find talent that doesn't necessarily have 25, 30 years of experience within the nonprofit field. Because I've been seeing this a lot where, there's so many applicable traits 
of salespeople and marketing people and really people thinking outside of the box, which I hate that term, but we're going to use it anyway because it makes sense, is how to think differently about hiring for different positions. I know from the head nodding and just your general vibe that you probably have an inkling or some good perspective on where do we find amazing talent that doesn't necessarily only come from years and decades of experience in the nonprofit field? Sure, absolutely. So needless to say, and you started off with this right off the bat, um, the nonprofit sector fundraising, particularly, right? The skill set required for fundraising can also easily be transferred from the skill set found with managing a high net worth client base, right? So oftentimes the financial services business is just great in terms of a transfer of experience, knowledge. So you're doing sales, you're working with high net worth clients, high net worth um, individuals, very, very similar um, in terms of, you know, the skill set required. But to your point, I think that it's also, um, depending on how entrepreneurial the organization is and kind of how much allowance they have for um, wow, we're not going to do these things in the way that it's been done for generations and generations and generations. If you've got a CEO, executive director who's willing to be a little bit more flexible and interesting, and I think it is critical to the future of the whole business, the nonprofit fundraising sector, um, then find, finding somebody who maybe has had a couple of years working in nonprofits, but also has experience working for a startup. Because boy, does that teach you how to do everything under the sun all at once. You want to talk about juggling and spinning plates? That's the place to learn how to do that. And nonprofit sector requires a lot of plate spinning. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the, we refer to it as the 10,000 hat wearing uh, specialty that most nonprofiteers <laughs> wear. And I think there's an element of entrepreneurial spirit to every nonprofit, right? You come up with against a barrier or something that doesn't work out right. You've got to have a snap judgment and be very creative on how you get from point A to point B. And those that are funding their own startup uh, organizations, whether that's in tech or whatever, uh, they got to get creative on who they talk to about funding in the first place. And I know you're not getting a benefit of maybe sales down the road, but you're getting those tickets to heaven. And that's a pretty good investment too. Um, <laughs> Is that the- how Okay. I think that's exactly how it works. And in fact, Great. feel free to steal that one. I, one <laughs> of the best, um, I'll tell you really quick, one of the best uh, individuals that I ever helped with a hire of a, of a client of ours was a 25-year car salesman. Mm. It was the best hire they ever made in the entire world. And it, when I was talking uh, to this gentleman, he was, uh, I was like, how many people come back to you? What's your what's your return client base? Because like, well, probably like 95% of the people I sell cars to, I sold cars to prior to, and I go hire this man right now. <laughs> it's all relationship building. Anybody who's got a great relationship is somebody you should be looking for. And that's really one of the things that I don't think traditional nonprofits or ones who've been around for a long time are even willing to take a peek at because it's so out there. And yet he's the best fundraiser that I've worked with in so many years. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. You have to really be open to it. I mean, there's some places that do require the, you have to check these boxes. You have to be able to have major gift experience, plan giving experience, annual fund. There are some organizations that actually require because they're so deeply mired that perhaps they can't even think about change, but they really should be. They really should be. What are some of the ways that you uh, come into a client and they say, all right, we're stuck in our ways and this is the person we want and this is the thing. And you're seeing like, boy, you could really use so-and-so. What are the, what are the questions you might ask uh, of an organizational leader or an organization to maybe draw out a, oh, so maybe this isn't necessarily the only way we can do things? 
Hmm, that's a good question. You know, we try to just um, ask the client about all the things that they feel like they could possibly want, you know, not just not just in terms of the skills of the candidate, but more about the organization. We when we do our discovery work, we talked, we asked to speak to board members, the chair of the development committee, if there is one. We want to talk to other members of the staff, not just senior levels of staff. We want to talk to kind of all levels of the staff. So we get an understanding of is there a culture of philanthropy and what does that look like? Do they do people even understand what it is that this job is doing? Because it is such a strange job if you think about it, really. Um, so we do try to tease that out that way. And that sometimes is, gives us a lot of insight as to what the organization has as an opportunity in front of them that they may not be seeing. And right. we've definitely had conversations with clients where we say, Well, have you thought about this? And they say, Wow, I Victoria, never that's never even occurred to us before. And then, you know, then sometimes they have to go back and talk to their board chair and see if that's something that they'd be open to. But the other thing we really try hard to do, Patrick, is we deliver a candidate pool that's very different from one another. And we get this feedback every time, literally every time we send a candidate pool over to a client, they say, wow, those five people could all do the job really well, but they couldn't be more different. Mm -hmm. And that's purposeful because it isn't one size fits all, Mm -hmm. you know? Go ahead. You no, because because uh, that's really where I, I I love this where the conversation is going is I think nonprofits have an idea of who a great sale a great uh, major gift officer is going to be a great um, event planning person is going to be a great uh, you know administrative assistant is going to be I think we have it in our brains and we, if if you put everybody in down on paper I think most people would describe those individuals as the same individuals. And, and really, we're getting to a point where the donor base is diversifying, the opportunities for funding is diversifying, the conversations we have to have with the certain type of individuals that we're having, uh, with the programs is diversifying. And so really, how do we start, I guess, with the idea that your more diverse perspectives is going to benefit your organization, but we got to be purposeful? And how do we recruit people with those perspectives in the first place? Well, needless to say, um, it has to start at the top. So obviously, the executive director of the organization has to have an open mindset and has to understand what diversity means and what it means to that organization, by the way, because it is different to every organization. But if it's not reflected by the board, by the staff, by the activities, by the inclusiveness of the organization to its donors, to its members, to its staff and inclusive um, in terms of the board as well, then nobody who's going to come with diverse perspectives is going to want to take that job. And that's really the hardest conversation I've had with nonprofit organizational leaders who say, we need to have a diverse candidate pool. And I say, great, let's talk about the board. (laughs) There is no diversity on your board. If I were a person who is talented and interested in working for the organization because I like the mission, it's not reflected at all that you care about diverse values whatsoever. So you need to work on your board. Um, there's all kinds of tests and surveys and and, uh, and exercises that can be given to boards in order for them to get you know better training and to diversify and so on. But if they don't, if they have not made any efforts whatsoever, Patrick, I just tell them flat out, you're not going to find a diverse candidate pool. You have to do your own work first. And is that something that um, is maybe? What's what's the ratio of individual boards that go, well, pff, I'm going to find someone else then? Or 
Or is there an acknowledgement like, yeah, we get it. And, uh, and we're trying, I mean, is the response when you say that, because I think we're in a time where you have to have some sort of positive response going, we get it or self-awareness of like, we know we all look the same here. And, um, is it, what's, what's the initial feedback on that? I would say that 98% of the clients I've talked to have said, you're right. We have work to do. We get it. Um, please let candidates know that we are doing the work and here are the things we're doing or Victoria share with me what we can do. That's the majority of our clients. There've been one or two who said, you know what? We are who we are not changing. And I've said, okay, then don't, you're not, we're not going to find you diverse candidate pool period. You have a diverse candidate come in, you hire a diverse candidate. You've got a couple of people. That'd be great. Um, how do you keep that talent? I think in general, we're trying to figure out in the nonprofit world, how do you keep any sort of talent anywhere? But specifically, uh, individuals who have this unique perspective and they're in a situation where they're probably doing really great work, they're going to leave because there's bigger fish to fry because they're talented individuals and you've taken a leap of faith on somebody who's really, really, really good. What would terrify me as a nonprofit leader or a board member, whatever, is you put somebody in this position who's just picture perfect and they're going to be looking. Can we prevent that? So they're not looking, by the way, Patrick, mm. they're being recruited. That's the mm, difference. Even better. So, yeah. <laughs> or, or is it? Or, um, yeah. yeah. So because as we've all talked about over and over, the, the, the amount of high quality talent, specifically if you're talking about high quality talent who come from diverse backgrounds, is not as big as it should be. We need a, we need a lot more work on training and, and educating and moving people through our pipeline as talent in the in the nonprofit sector because um, it's still a fantastic thing to do. It's a wonderful life career. But once you get to the place where you've actually found somebody that you love and you think they're fantastic and they bring they bring something to the organization that you don't have currently and they're advancing the mission and so on, how do you keep them? Well, how do you keep, how do you take care of anything that you you really value, right? And that's how you have to think about it. This is a person that needs to be nurtured. This is a person that needs to feel heard. This is a person that needs to have a realistic job responsibilities. This is someone who you make time for on a regular basis. This is someone who you absolutely have regular reviews and talk about the process, talk about the organization, talk about how they're doing, talk about ways that you can be helpful to them as well as they can be helpful to the organization. Um, uh, this is a way that you can help this person with um, uh, best practices training, make sure that they get opportunities for furthering their own personal growth. And that doesn't necessarily just mean going to major gifts class, by the way, that could be, um, you know, encourage uh, health practices, um, all those things are really, really important and demonstrate to the candidate that you care about them. And we, we talked about this at the top of the top of the hour here, Patrick salary. I know that I know, <laughs> but you just listed off so many other things that we could give them without money. And clearly their mortgage company is going to expect, uh, nothing less than hugs and high fives as payment, because that sure. seems to be something that, that they do nowadays. Right. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't have to pay your bills. Mm. What are you kidding me? No. This is the real, this is the real sticky wicket, I think, for a lot of organizations because, and again, I, I don't know if you're seeing this too, is that boards and leadership are seeing this as an expense. And I feel like you're the type of individual that would go, no, it's an investment. 
why is it okay for people to get paid what they're worth in the nonprofit areas? And please, if you are listening, pay attention to this answer because you are worth it and you deserve it. And Victoria, the the floor is yours. Why (laughs) do we need to get paid what we need to get paid? Because you're doing the hardest and most important work. We're trying to change the world, right? That's what the nonprofit sector is doing. You're doing the things that corporate America can't do. You are caring about human beings, animals, all sorts of other things that are not part of the corporate structure. So you absolutely have, I mean, the the greatest mistake is to say, we're going to be, we're going to take good care of you, but we can't pay you. Of course you can pay, of course you can pay the nonprofit fundraiser. Without the fundraiser, you're not going to survive, period, end story. Mm-hmm. The most, don't want to say the most important role, but certainly way up there at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to pay people at least, at least in a par situation, but try to do better. And I mentioned this earlier, I'm a big fan of bonuses. Now it used to be in the old day, old days that bonuses were frowned upon. That is no longer the case people. So if you run a nonprofit, go to case or go to any of the, uh, AFP and look at the, uh, look at the, the literature on this. Bonuses can't be tied, obviously, to the amount of money you raise. That would be unethical. That makes total sense. Mm -hmm. But bonuses absolutely can be tied to things that are going to make a difference. Like, um, uh, let's say you're going to want to make sure that the the, uh, person in the role um, works closely with the board and has regular meetings with board members and and manages the the, um, development committee in a proper way. That's an area where if you can see growth and change, that's important. And you can benchmark that. Those kinds of things, um, uh, going out and doing a certain number of donor visits on a monthly basis, that's valuable. It's not about, I raised the $4 million I'm supposed to raise, therefore I get a bonus. That's obviously doesn't make any sense when it comes to bonuses. But in the nonprofit sector, find a way to give bonuses to your to your staff. It's absolutely the right thing to do. Well, and it is. And I, what I love about this is that because it's not tied to money brought in, you can actually concentrate on the things that are actually going to grow your development office, which is field activity. You can't control when people are going to give. You can't control how much they're going to give. You can't control when they're going to give, but you can control your employees out in the field, having great conversations, making phone calls, building that rapport, going out, making speaking arrangements, doing podcasts, being on uh, being on things that are really meaningful to get your name out there that have a lot of soft uh, markers for the success on the long term that Absolutely. yeah you can bonus out and I love that you said that because we're so terrified we're terrified of money we we're supposed to raise it and it scares the living daylights of us because we don't want to talk about it it sounds dirty and it's gross and we have this horrible uh, uh, sort of dis- mistrust of like oh, you're doing it for cash no you're doing it for survival because you're doing the things the government can't shouldn't and won't do dang it. Uh, so I so appreciate the fact that you can say this out loud and you can be a cheerleader for those who are uh, working their rear ends off to make the world a better place. Thank you for that. My pleasure. How do we have that conversation with the board? Because that's another thing where the board's going to look at budget and they're going to say, well, we don't have the, the, the ability to pay any of these people. How are we going to do any of this kind of stuff? And that's a lot of the throwback excuses. Well, where are we going to find it? Well, the answer is you're creating a budget. You find it, but it's there. You just have to figure out exactly how to spend that money. It's not that you don't have it. It's about where you put your value, right? And if the value is to grow the organization, if you don't have the resources to grow the organization, it's not going to grow. If you don't have somebody who's going to raise the money, it's not going to grow. It's just that simple. 
You're not going to be able to do all the programs you want to do, et cetera. Um, I also always want to give a little shout out to my good friend, Lynn Twist, for uh, the author of the book, The Soul of Money. Mm-hmm. Everyone should read it if you haven't. It's an old book. It's been around for a long time. Lynn's done a great job of reinventing it on a regular basis. Read the book. Give it to your board. It talks about the importance. And you talked about the ickiness of, ooh, it's money. I don't want to talk about it. This puts it all in the perspective, right? It's it's uh, money has a soul, right? And the way that we our relationship with money is really important to understand. A good fundraiser can talk about that. Mm-hmm. We'll put that link in the important. we'll put that link in the show notes because it is one of those must reads because it gets you out of your own head in the whole money mindset, which is the thing that you need to change. In your years of experience from starting as a fundraiser to now recruiting awesome fundraisers, what have you seen change the most? Or is this all the same if we've been doing this all around and just using different terms and things? What have you seen as a shift? In the in sort of how fundraising has been done for the good or worse? Well, I think the democratization of fundraising is the most important change. And I think it's super, super important and very, very nuanced and challenging. And I think that um, there's some organizations that I've worked with that are doing great work in this area. This is not an easy thing. This is not an easy thing at all. Um, what does philanthropy really mean? Right? Who, who, what, what does support really mean? In what way? How do you make everybody feel like they're a part of this puzzle? You know, um, very, very challenging. And that's been the biggest, the biggest uh, evolution, revolution in the philanthropy world, in my opinion. Do you feel confident that we're going to be all set and we're going to be okay in the in the world of philanthropy? Is you're seeing it every day on people and you're talking to organizations and you've got the you've got a really good pulse on what people are thinking. Are we going to be okay? Are we going to be all right? Because I think there's a lot of people who who are who wake up every day in their in their organization like I don't know what the hell's going to happen today, and they're going to be a little bit confused and concerned that they're going to wake up and there's just going to be ugh, this is going to be gross and done and and things. Is there a ray of hope that you're seeing with the talent pool that you're trying to recruit from and the and the talent that you're seeing that we're going to be A-OK with this next generation of leadership? Yeah, I really do think so, Patrick. I think that people are doing good self-work. I think people are trying to make a, make a difference in their own lives and understand more about humanity and how to work together. The 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 level of attention, I can only speak to, of course, the clients and, and candidates I talked to, the level of attention people are giving to uh, what's important, this whole concept of democratization of philanthropy, really, really important. All the anti-racist work being done, super important. Um, I think we are going to be okay. I think we're going to be better. I don't think it's going to be an easy, easy transition, but I think we're going to be better in the long run. So people out there who are listening to this, stick with it. You are so important. Stick with it. We all need you. We're the future of the world. Stick with it. It's going to be great. And I think uh, you've got a, a good enough support system out there if you just search for it and you True. find uh, a lot of things. Uh, I want to let everybody know uh, that Victoria and I are going to talk uh, after the podcast. Uh, we're going to do another guest expert training. She's got a number of different things that she's going to talk about afterwards. And you can find all that information in the show notes. You can go to our Do Good University membership site. It's going to be worth it. Click on the link, see how you can join uh, the continued conversation. But in the meantime, Hey, Victoria, how do we get a hold of you? There's probably a lot of individuals or people that are thinking, I need somebody like a Victoria in my life to find all the awesome leaders in our organization that they might not know where to find you. How do they find you? 
Easiest way is www.cooksilverman.com, www.cooksilverman.com. You're going to find us. You'll find all of our job openings, lots of great resources on our site too. So don't be shy. Dig around in there. We're going to put those in the show notes. And while you're digging around, if you haven't registered or if you haven't followed or you haven't even uh, following the show, if you, haven't, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, shame on you. You should. Because people like Victoria come to this uh, show and give awesome advice and go tell your friends about it too. Give it a five-star review for a five-star guest like this. And then immediately go back to the show notes and click on uh, Victoria's uh, links in the uh, show notes as well. Go find what she's doing. Go follow her on all of her social stuff as well. Victoria, thank you. It's so nice to find a like-minded soul when it comes to finding individual and awesome talent in the nonprofit world. I appreciate your perspective and appreciate all you're doing to try to find this amazing, diverse, and really unique talent to put back into the uh, ecosystem that we've built here in the, in the fundraising world. But most of all, thank you so much for being a guest here on the official Do Good Better podcast. Thank you, Patrick. It was absolutely my pleasure. Look, as someone who listens to the show, you know that I love helping small and medium-sized nonprofits. That's why we bring on the awesome experts and guests that get to talk to you about how to make your organization more awesome. So I've got a deal for you. I would like to help you. I would like to work with you. So if you go to dogooduniversity.com, that's do good, Y-O-U-niversity.com, and you register for one of the courses, I'm going to send you my best-selling book, Fundraise Awesomer, a practical guide to staying sane while doing good for free, because I really want you to do amazing work. Listen, dogooduniversity.com, go pick out something, whether it's a board training or a gratitude training or whatever webinar you want to choose. Um, use the promo code podcast, take 25% off of anything that you purchase, and I'm going to throw in a book as well because I want you to do awesome. I want you to do awesomer and I want you to do good better. Go to dogooduniversity.com today. Hey, did you just have a meeting with a donor and they told you something really, really important and you have no place to put it except for like maybe an Excel spreadsheet or I don't know, a random piece of paper in your office? Go to donordoc.com. Get a CRM system that works. Get a donor database system that works. Get something that gives you beautiful reports and beautiful dashboards that even your crankiest board member will love. Go to DonorDoc.com, use the code word, do good better at checkout, and get a month free. DonorDoc.com. Hey, you busy fundraiser. Yeah, you. Listen, I know you're busy planning an event, and you shouldn't have to worry about what software you're using for events and online giving and peer-to-peer fundraising and auctions and mobile bidding and text-to-give. It's all at one cause OneCause.com. Listen, I've been using OneCause for a long time with clients all over. It's designed for busy fundraisers. It's intuitive. It's a powerful fundraising solution for your next event, and you should be using it. Go to OneCause.com. They're a sponsor of the show. They're amazing. They're awesome. And there's free resources galore at OneCause.com. Check them out today. Choosing a partner to help you achieve success in your business or personal finances is a big decision. You need a devoted advisor who's experienced and attentive and invested in helping you accomplish your goals. Hey, you know what that sounds like? Brady Martz. Brady Martz knows that you got a lot of options to choose from, but we're confident that Brady Martz is the right accounting firm for you. They got more than a half a century of experience making everyday count through tax, accounting, audit, and business advisory services. So, Contact Brady Marts to learn more about their unique solutions. 
that they can provide you your nonprofit.